Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you. Let's go James chapter one. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 today, and I hope that you're going to be able to see how these verses flow out of what we've looked at the past two weeks. Uh, So if you're new or you didn't make it the past couple of weeks, I would strongly urge you, recommend that you go back and listen to those previous two sermons because David David Platt, one of our lead pastors, kicked off this sermon series through the book of James with a sermon on the first 12 verses of this book. And for many of us, it struck a nerve as this book, the book of James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, spoke directly to some of our deepest hurts in some of our most painful heartaches, it spoke to the various trials of life. And then last week, Mike Kelsey, another one of our lead pastors, walked us through the next six verses where James dials in and speaks directly to our temptations. You see, the letter of James is, a, is like a heavyweight boxer of the New Testament books. It, it packs a heavy punch. And it's the kind of book that if you slow down and you really consider what it's saying, it will cause some needed discomfort in our spiritual life. But even as we journey through this book, you need to know that James is here for you, that he's for you. He isn't the type that's just taking shots just for the fun of it. James is all about you having a real powerful encounter with the living God. And the book of James invites us to move beyond mere religious ritual and theoretical faith. And he wants us to experience God in our daily lives. It's a call to authenticity. It's a call to authenticity to show the real encounter with God has resulted in a life marked by active faith, active love, and active obedience. He doesn't want you to go through the surface level motions of religions. He wants to get up in your face and ensure that you have real faith. And James knows the difference. He knows the difference between empty religion that might help you cope with a few things in your broken life and then the difference between that and having a real encounter with the living God that will alter your eternal destiny. You see, James might have had one of the most interesting upbringings in the history of mankind. His family was not the typical family. He was born into a Jewish family, no doubt very committed in their religious activity, but he had an older half-brother. Does anybody know who his older half-brother was? Jesus. Can we talk about that for a minute? What was that like growing up? Now, you might be thinking, well, certainly then James was one of the earliest disciples of Jesus. When you bunk with the Son of God, you come to faith in him at an early age, correct? (laughs) And not so. Not so. That's not what the Gospels tell us. James pops up in the Gospels early on in Jesus' earthly ministry. In Mark chapter 6, it says, he, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where does this man get these things? They're listening to Jesus and they're like, are you serious? Where does this man get these things? It says, where, what is the, the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? 
and it says they took offense at him. So at this point in the narrative, James is not a big fan of his older half-brother. In fact, a few chapters earlier in Mark chapter 3, it says, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Not only was was James not a big fan, he thought his older brother was a lunatic. And later on in the life and the ministry of Jesus, we read in John's gospel account in chapter seven, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. He was staying away from that area because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers, including James, said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for no one works in secret if, if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. <laughs> so they're like, hey, big brother, you might be ready for the big leagues. Why don't you head on down to Judea, hang out in Jerusalem and kind of show your thing, you know? And they're not doing that because they believe in him and not doing it because they want him to display his power. They're doing it, it seems like, because they want him in trouble with the Jews who were seeking to kill him. He didn't believe in him. So what changed? What changed in James's life? Well, Jesus eventually goes to Jerusalem. He's brutally executed for the sins of the world. And then he proves to be exactly who he said he was by raising his life from the dead. (laughs) He died, he was buried, and then he rose from the grave. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, it refers to those events that took place after Jesus died, after he was risen from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he did actually die in Jerusalem. And it had already been said that this was gonna happen that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, that it it really did happen. He got up from the grave. And then verse five says, he appeared to Cephas. So the resurrected Jesus appears to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. If you're thinking this whole thing was concocted in the back alley somewhere, you're coming to having to face this reality. Jesus didn't show himself to just some a few people in in an obscure place, he was out in the open saying, I'm alive and showed himself to 500 people. Then he uh, says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In verse seven, then he appeared to who? James. Can you imagine that encounter? I I really am looking forward to one day sitting James down and being like, bro, you got to tell me about that. How did that go? (laughs) We don't know exactly how that went down, but we know it went down. 
Because we know the result of what happened from that encounter with the risen Jesus. You see, James had a real powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, everything changed for him at that point. This week I was struck with such hope as I studied the book of James as there's people that I've been praying for, longing for them to have a real powerful encounter with the living God. And the, and the thought came up in my heart. I think God just led me to think this. If James, the one who thought Jesus was crazy, <laughs> then those that I've been praying for are not too far gone. If you're here and you're thinking you're too far gone, let me tell you, you might be struggling believing that Jesus is the son of God. James took it another level. He thought he was certifiably crazy. And he met the risen son of God and everything changed. Everything changed. If James, then none of you are too far gone. If James, none of our loved ones are too far gone. None of our, lab- our neighbors, our co-workers, no one is too far gone that a real powerful encounter with the living God can't change everything. So James is not interested in you proving your Christianity because you showed up this morning. James is not impressed with your profession of faith that you made years ago one Sunday morning, but it has no bearing in your life tomorrow morning. James is not impressed. James is is not even impressed with how you profess Jesus with your mouth. He wants to look at your life and say, show that to me with your life. And James shows up at the door of our life and asks some really important questions. And he intends to get down to the answer of, are you really a follower of Jesus? Have you encountered the living God in a saving way? And if that is really the case, then not only your Sunday routine changes, listen, everything changes, everything. He's gonna step up and bring up things like, how do you love the poor? How do you care for the most vulnerable in society? He's gonna raise questions like, how do you talk to each other? How do you talk about each other when they're not in the room? He's gonna dive into your pride and even discuss patience. And he's gonna do all of that and ask important questions to try to help you figure out if something has changed on the inside of you that is bringing true transformation on the outside of you. James is all about helping you figure that out. And that's really the goal of this series. That's the aim of the book of James, that you would have an encounter with Jesus, the living, risen, saving son of God that so powerfully impacts your life that everything changes. And James lovingly confronts us with this. If things don't change, then you need to begin to ask yourself some very important questions. Like, do you actually have real faith? And you might be like, whoa, pastor, you got real close on that one. 
that sounds a little judgy, pastor. Because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And James would say, yes. James, not Pastor Britton, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would say, yes, you are saved by grace through faith apart from works. But that faith will change some things. In fact, it changes everything. And today in the passage we're going to look at to, uh, this morning, the life change that we're going to see ever so clearly is how we approach the word of God. James is here to say a real, powerful encounter with the living God, we're talking about salvation here, meeting Jesus, getting saved, if that's what your tradition, if that's the phraseology your tradition says, if you have a real, powerful encounter with the living God, that will result in a life that desires to hear and obey the word of God. We saw this last week, beginning in James chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is, we were brought forth, we were brought into salvation. God saved our soul by the word of truth. Think about how powerful the word of God is. It literally can create something out of nothing, just the word of God. Just the word of God can bring something that's dead back to life again. The word of God, that word, now that you have life, you're a kind of first fruits and your development, your maturity, your growing up is now dependent on, listen to this, how you relate to that same word. So verse 19, he dives in, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now that sounds like some just classic timeless advice, something you might see on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker driving down Route 7. And it is good advice. I don't want to say that it's not, but James is not giving general helpful words for anyone and everyone. He's speaking directly to Christians. He says, my beloved brothers, the brethren, and it's a plural in the original, so he's referring to both brothers and sisters, those who have been brought forth by the word of truth. He's saying, Christian, God's word brought you forth, brought salvation into your souls, and if you're going to mature, if you're going to grow up in a broken world where, that you face and where you face various trials and a variety of temptations, which is what we just covered the past few weeks, then you better listen up. You better be quick to hear the word of God. Be quick to hear the word of God. Be in a hurry is what James says. Like hurry up, get to it. What does God have to say about what you're facing? Hurry to the word and find out. What is God revealing to you through his word about himself in relation to who you are? Hurry up and get there and find out. Get to the word. Be quick to hear. Let me give you an illustration to help you bring this home. I was able to go see Thomas and Lauren Black this week at the hospital. Um, they had their baby. Let me, let me reverse that. I went to go see baby Bennett Black at the hospital and Lauren and Thomas just happened to be there. 
I'm not good at selfies. Uh, I know we, our students are here. Sorry about that. Not good at it. But I am good at holding a baby, am I not? Y'all see that five points of contact right there? So if anybody's trying to cause a fumble, don't worry. Pastor Britton has got it under control, okay? But I took this picture and I sent it to my wife. And she replied back with, let's have another one. And I didn't know how to reply to that. So I just left it on red, okay? But it made me start thinking about all those years of us raising little ones in our house, our little babies. And I was always amazed at how quick Brooke moved when she heard a baby cry. <laughs> now, dads, you're gonna, you're gonna feel this one, okay? For me, when a baby started crying, one of our boys started crying, I would open up one eye and I'd think, do I hear a baby crying? And then I'd think, what, what do I need to do right now? Um, and then I would start rationalizing. What if I just let him cry it out a little bit, you know? Like he needs to toughen up a little bit. And I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm like, not Brooke. Like Brooke is a, she is out of the gate heading somewhere when she hears that voice. I'm talking 4, 3, 40, getting after it. And, and she's headed somewhere because she wants to hear that voice. And that's what James is telling us, be quick to hear God's word. Be quick to hear God's word. And we know he's talking about the word of God because he speaks of the word in the verse before it in verse 18, and he speaks about the word of God right after it in verse 21. What does God's word say about what you are facing today? The various trials, the variety of temptations. Do you know what God says? It's not, well, I'll see if I can get around to it today. It shouldn't be, well, I hope eventually I can get after that. It's the first place you go. Hurry up and get to God's word and be quick to hear. Secondly, be slow to speak. When you go to God's word, and you're quick to know what God's word says, you also need to ensure that you're slow to say what you think you need to say. <laughs> it reminds me of Job chapter 40. The book of Job, if you've read it before, Job says a whole lot, his friends say a whole lot, Job says some more and his friends keep talking. And then finally God speaks. And Job's response in chapter 40 of Job is this, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What I shall answer, uh, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job heard the word of God and said, I'm just gonna be here with my hand over my mouth right now. Have you noticed that when we're facing various trials, a variety of temptations, we can get real talky? Have you noticed that we can start arguing with God? We can start justifying our actions when the pressure of this world presses in on us. We can start manipulating his word to say all sorts of things. And James says, don't do that. Be quick to hear God's word be slow to speak, and also be slow to anger. When we're pressed with various trials and a variety of temptations, don't go popping off at God. 
You see, God is up to something in every single one of your circumstances, in every single one of your relationships. Christian, he's bending all of that to your, to, to your good and for his glory. God is up to something. So if you're upset with him, you're upset with the wrong person. Be slow to anger. An angry person is never listening. An angry person is rarely teachable. And James says, not you, Christian, not you. Our natural tendency relating to God's word is to be slow to hear and quick to speak. But the supernatural empowered life will be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And James completes his thought with a two-part command regarding the word in verse 21. I want you to look at this. He says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James says there's a positive and there's a negative here. The negative is put away, get rid of the filth, get rid of the wickedness. Don't play around with it, Christian. Don't minimize it, don't justify it, don't hide it and think it's just gonna stay nicely in a neat little corner. It, it gets up and starts growing and starts taking over things in your life. You need to get rid of it, like pulling weeds out of the garden. Confess your sin to God and to others or else that sin will begin to choke out the implanted word in you. That's the negative. The, the positive is receive the implanted word. I love this phrase because the word has been implanted for a Christian. For a Christian, the word is implanted in us. It's in the past tense. And, and James is saying, receive it. Receive it. Receive the revelation of God. Your Bible is not just some random for the moment spiritual guidance. Your Bible is not just an archive of Hallmark card type inspirational thoughts for the day. Your Bible, the word of God reveals God. 2 Timothy 3.16, every single word is breathed out by him. Receive it. The human authors of scripture were from different cultures, different contexts, wrote in different languages and in different genres, but they all were, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, carried along by the Holy Spirit so that they spoke from God. So you want God? Receive his word. Do you know that the word of God accommodates to our finite and fallen condition. Let me say that again. The word of God accommodates to our finite and fallen condition. And I don't have much time here, but it's, I hope what I'm about to share will not only blow your mind, but simultaneously fill your heart with praise towards the God who reveals himself in the word. The accommodation of scripture. Listen to this quote from one theologian. It says, were it not for God's forbearance, even the glory revealed in scripture would destroy us. Now that'll change your devotion time tomorrow morning, will it not? It, if God were to just fully reveal himself in all of his glory right now because of our finite condition and our fallen condition, it would destroy us. And, and, and the 
The theologian goes on and says, yet it's precisely here that the brightest rays of divine grace shine forth in the accommodated scriptures. For God has met our deepest need by giving us the redemptive revelation of Jesus Christ in permanent written form. In the Bible, God approaches fallen and forgetful men and women in the fullness of his justice and grace and introduces us to a world of salvation and fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that one? The accommodated character of scripture therefore means not only that God speaks in it intelligibly to his creatures, but that the words he has given are just what we as sinners need. So rise early tomorrow, open up your Bible, and thank God that you were not destroyed by the glory that is revealed in those pages. And then meet with God, because he's given you everything you need. There's too much glory at stake, Christian. Mark this down. Live in God's word like your life depends on it. Live in God's word like your life depends on it. He says the word is able to save your souls. But James is not done. And neither am I. Verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Receiving God's word must be followed by obedience. Truly receiving God's word logically means doing it. To hear it and not to do it is self-deception. And then he offers an illustration. He says in verse 23, he says, for, anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That makes a lot of sense for us men. We're tracking here, right? James chapter one, we're really feeling this. You look in the mirror, flex back, you can sit there for as long as you want to, you walk away, you immediately forget it, Okay. Not so with the ladies, okay? Now, I, I wondered if this was the best illustration, but I'm just gonna go for it, okay? <laughs> Sitting on our bathroom counter is this mirror. And I need to tell you something about this mirror, okay? This mirror is a trifold lighted vanity mirror. There's two supply power modes. When you turn this thing on, it sounds like a diesel engine is revving up. There's 21 LED lights. It's literally like a, a, an airport runway. It's touch screen, by the way. This mirror can get some things done. And it does each and every morning. There was one time I sat down in this mirror and it's like it just encircled me, okay? And I looked into it and it was like it was looking into my soul. Like it was revealing things. I was like, whoa, I did not know that that was even possible to even show me. Like I'm not sure I want to sit down in this mirror 
and look through this again. And James says, in this illustration, the man starts out good. He's a hearer of the word, and that's a good start. And in this illustration, the mirror is God's word. And there's two reflections coming back. One is we get a good look at ourselves when we look into the mirror of God's word. We see ourselves as we truly are. Students, when you're scrolling through social media, you're not seeing yourself as you truly are. When you gaze into the mirror of God's word, you are seeing yourself as you truly are. But that's not the only reflection that comes back at us. The other reflection is that we get to look at God. We get a true look at God. One writer says God allows us to gaze upon himself. So these two reflections of self and God are really good things. It's just not the only thing. It's just not the only thing. And I don't want you to get me wrong. We should continually put ourselves under the faithful preaching of God's word each and every week. This is not optional. You should make every effort to be a part of the gathered body of believers so that when the word of God is preached, you're receiving the word, you're hearing the word preached. You should daily pursue personal devotions in God's word. You should memorize the word. You should prioritize church groups, small groups where you get around a group of Christians and study the word and apply it. Those things are good. You should take advantage of every class offered that would help you grow deeper in your knowledge of God's word and deeper in love with God. But listen to me, doing those very Christian things, you must never assume that you've arrived. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And some of us are stalled out in our maturity. You've been following Jesus for 20 years, but you're not a 20-year-old Christian. Your growth in Christ is stunted. You keep living the same year of your Christian journey over and over again. And James is here to tell you how to grow up in your faith. Spiritual growth, ladies and gentlemen, is not automatic. Christian growth is something we must work at constantly. And just because you grow old doesn't mean you grow up. There's a big difference in age and maturity, is there not? And James says a person who comes to the word and hears it either through personal devotions or corporate worship or Bible studies and you hear it but you don't obey it is like a man who goes in front of a mirror, walks away and forgets what he has seen. And a concern that I have pastorally for us, even as you regularly gather in this space, is that on the way home, what dominates your conversation is, how do you think the preacher did? Did you like those songs? How did that make you feel? And, and we rarely ask the question, how are we gonna obey what we just heard? And James says, if that's you, you are deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. That's the negative example. The positive example is in verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, 
being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Many have made the mistake of believing just hearing a good sermon, sitting in a good Bible study is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. And James says, no, that's not it. James says, it's not the hearing, but the doing that brings the blessing. And James here refers to the perfect law, the law of liberty, another, another way of expressing the word of God. And he calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty, because when we obey it, ladies and gentlemen, there is freedom. It's one of the oldest lies of the enemy that God wants to restrict you. He wants to, he wants to keep you back. And sadly, too many of us give in to that. In fact, this is the perfect law, the law of liberty, and we should look into it. We should, it literally means to stoop down and look carefully into this. It's not a casual look. It's not treating it lightly. It's an intent. It's a, it's a gaze. It's a stare. And that one who did this, James says, didn't just hear and forget it like the man who was looking in the mirror. This one heard it and actually did something with it. He acts. And listen, James says, that one gets God's blessing. James says, live in God's word like your life depends on it. And then he goes on to say, say, live out God's word like your life depends on it. Because it does. It really does. Live in God's word because your life depends on it. And live out God's word because your life depends on it. A few weeks ago, I finally made it to the dermatologist. I had a little spot on my neck and my wife, Brooke, just kept on telling me, you need to go get that checked out. It was a little bit more annoying than concerning. And so I just always push it off. Uh, I don't have anything against you doctors. It's just your offices that I really struggle with. Uh, so, so finally, Brooke made me an appointment. My wife made me an appointment and said, here's your appointment, go to this appointment or else. And I, I heard in her voice a dot, dot, dot. And so I went to the appointment. And I, I, I was sitting there in the doctor's office and he checked out the spot on my neck and he immediately said, hey, that's, that's not a problem. That's no big deal. We're gonna take care of that. Um, and, and he used some big medical term that I had no clue what he was talking about. He said, nothing to worry about. Uh, but since you're here, can we go ahead and take a look at your back? And so he starts looking at my back and I hear him say, oh, I don't like that one. And I'm like, is he talking about the nurse that just walked in? Is he talking about my back? I'm not sure what's going on. And I said, Doc, well, you, you got my, you know, I'm listening. What, what's going on? And he said, I, I see a spot on your back that I'm pretty sure is cancer. And I said, well, you, you've definitely got my attention now. And I said, explain what's going on. And he said, well, there's a spot and I'm pretty sure it's cancer. We need to get it off today. It doesn't need to be on your body another second. So we're gonna get it off today and then we're gonna send it to see if it really is cancer and I'll follow back up with you in two weeks. So next thing I know, he's, he's prepping and getting everything ready and I'm just sitting there and just 
trying to take it all in and the nurse leans in and is like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't think so. Can you ask him if I'm okay because he thinks I'm not okay? And next thing you know, he takes that thing off and he sends it back, I mean, off to biopsy and says, I'll give you a call in two weeks. Two weeks later, he calls me to the date and he said, uh, he said hey, I got bad news, it's cancer. And he explained it was a type of melanoma. And then he said, but it's not yet invasive. It's not yet invasive. What we need to do is take action today, Britton. He says, so what I need you to do is listen to me. You need to do this and do that. And I said, Doc, am I going to be okay? And he said, yes, it's stage zero. We just need to get it off of your body. And then he paused and he said, you're going to be okay as long as you pay attention to what I'm telling you right now. And I was like, I'm paying attention. He said, you need to call the doctor's office. You need to set up an appointment. You're going to set up this type of appointment, and I'm going to get it off of your body. We're going to take it all off. The only way you can mess this up, Britton, is if you don't pay attention to what I'm telling you right now. And you know what I did? I immediately called, set up an appointment, and I went, and they began to take off more of my back. And I was sitting there as we're, they're having this uh, operation and, and uh, locally, uh, it's, you know, my whole right shoulder is numb and, and he's, he's going to town doing his thing. And I look over, sorry, this is going to be a little bit TMI, but there's a, a chunk of something sitting on the tray right next to me. And I'm like, doc, is that my back? And he was like, yes, it is. And I was like, can I take a picture of that? And he was like, that's strange, but okay. And I was like, I just need evidence for later tonight when I'm moaning and complaining in pain and my wife says, suck it up. I can just be like, boom, how about this? You know, (laughs) they took that off of me. So he took it off. I got a picture to show you afterwards. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but if you, if that's your kind of thing, let's, let's trade stories. But he called two weeks after that, and he said, good news, the biopsy says we've taken it all off. Your body is completely clear of cancer. Praise God. But can you imagine if on that phone call, and he said, Britton, you have cancer, and I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you, and I'm like, hold on, doc. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm off doing five other things. I'm like, doc, I really don't have time right now. I'm so sorry. Really busy with work. Uh, just go ahead, hurry, get it out, get it out. Okay, but who would do something like that? Even more unbelievable is to think that, that I would listen and not do what the doctor told me to do. Can you imagine if the doctor called and said, this week and said, Britton, what are you doing? I told you you needed to do these things. And I looked at the doctor, I told the doctor, hey, don't worry about it. I studied every word that you said. I actually wrote it down. You'll be very proud of me, doc. I memorized it. I got a few good friends over to my living room one night and we actually discussed it and we talked really good about what this means in our life and and what happens if we do obey and what happens if we don't obey. And and like, we really went all in, doctor. I really listened well. And he looks at me and says, 
you didn't obey me though. You didn't do what I asked you to do. That would be crazy. And James is here to tell each and every one of us who are professing to be Christians, it's even crazier to treat the word of God that way. James is all about you having a real, powerful encounter with the living God. And a real powerful encounter with the living God will result in a life that desires to hear and obey the word of God. And and there's a word in that final verse there, perseverance. So I'm not gonna tell you it's every day is a bed of roses as you get up and there's nice little songs playing in the background when you're meeting with God. Sometimes you have to persevere through these things. But what James is telling you, if you've really had a a powerful encounter with the risen savior, your life is gonna change. And what's gonna change is how you relate to the word of God. You're gonna desire to hear it and obey it. And if that's not the case, then your check engine light and your spiritual life is on. And you need to do some diagnostic tests to figure out exactly why that's not the case. Because the worst place in the world is to be fooled to think you're a Christian when you're actually not. A real powerful encounter with the living God will result in a life that desires to hear and obey the word of God. Live in God's word like your life depends on it. And live out God's word like your life depends on it. Because it does. Your life depends on this. So I wanna invite the worship team back up. And even as they come up, they're gonna lead us in a song of worship. And then after that song of response to worship the Lord, I'm gonna lead us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But as they're making their way back up here, I wanna give you a few unhurried moments to ask some very important questions based upon this passage, based upon this book. And the question is this, have you had a real powerful encounter with the living God? Has something happened inside of you so powerful because you've met Jesus that now is bearing evidence in your life being transformed? And if not, Wherever you've been, whatever your religious background is, wherever you were walking into this room, would you please take some unhurried moments and go to the Lord and ask him to give you the grace to turn to Jesus in faith and run to Jesus. Turn from your sin and yourself and turn to Jesus. He is good enough and great enough to save each and every one of you. But if that question leaves you saying, yes, Britain, 
There's evidence in my life that I have had a real powerful encounter with the living God. Then the next question is for you, how might you better position your life this week to better receive and obey the word of God? I wanna give you a few moments. You can write out, journal to the Lord for just a couple of minutes before our team leads us in a song of response. Maybe you wanna get out your iPhone and just journal. Just start with God, comma, and then just journal a prayer to God in response to that second question. But I'm gonna give you a few unhurried moments to just respond personally to the preaching of God's word today. And then Jess and the team will lead us in worship.